Well, good morning, everyone. Um, if you have your Bibles, we are going to go to Isaiah chapter 6, but we're going to do a little bit of groundwork before we get there. If you know me, I'm a thorough guy, and I don't apologize. Um, being someone that does a lot of work with discipleship, next steps, who is Jesus, how do you get to know Jesus more? Jesus is very simple, but he's continuously simple. And what we want to do is, as we're continuing this series, what we want to really expand on is that these are not just standalone messages. These are things to take your time with. Go home, wrestle some of these things out, see the hardest questions you can find, and then come to deeper. And then we'll wrestle those out together. But today what we're looking at is understanding or to know God as holy. And even just in saying that, there's probably a thousand different ways that you and I can approach or have probably heard messages about God being holy. Yes? Absolutely. I probably, in the 20 years, over 20 years that I've been a Christian, I've probably heard multiple messages on this, some that were really, really good, and some that kind of made me question, I don't even know what God is. And so what I want to do today is really just open up the idea and the conversation is, God makes himself understandable to you and I through the person of Jesus. So in tackling this message today, approaching God or knowing God as holy, what we don't want to do is make it confusing or to make it condemning or to make it feel like, well, God, you're just unsearchable. The holiness of God is invitational for you and I today in the room. And I'd be doing you all a massive disservice if I just threw a bunch of information at you and didn't apply something to you. So if you're taking notes, we are going to look into the first kind of point we want to look at. And we really want to unpack this. Does holy mean angry or loving? Because sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we can see this image of this kind of angry God of the Old Testament. Everything is just constantly tense. Everything's got some Israel's in and out of rebellion. Things aren't going well. There's golden calves. There's kings that aren't right. There's priests that aren't right. The Old Testament can be a little messy sometimes. Does anyone kind of see that going through the Old Testament? How many people just kind of bypass the Old Testament sometimes? How many people try to pronounce the names in the Old Testament? Today we're going through Leviticus. Okay. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of look at this statement. Does, does holy mean angry or does holy mean loving? And if there's anything you can take away today is that we are going to actually see how holiness is actually invitational to the love of God. And the holiness of God that is expressed to you today is all throughout Scripture, but we have to respond to it. Now, here's the thing. Pastor John opened up the last couple sermons about God when he describes himself to Moses. Does everyone remember that? That God is rich in mercy, long-suffering, kind, all this type of thing. But there's this one thing about the Old Testament God, the Father that we know today, that we really do have to kind of hit coming right out of this. And the prophet Habakkuk talks about this in Habakkuk 1.13. is as good as our heavenly father is, there's one thing that he cannot do. And he cannot overlook wickedness. He cannot overlook it. 
That doesn't mean he excuses it. That doesn't mean he condones it. What happens is when God sees something in his children that is counterproductive or doesn't reflect his nature, he has to deal with it. If you as a parent walked in and saw your older sibling just take a crack at the younger sibling, would you let that fly? No, we'd have to correct that. If you were walking down the street and saw someone having an injustice done to them, coffee spilled on them, someone being balled out, wouldn't you want them to kind of know that, hey, we've got to make sure things are okay? The justice meter of some of us in the room will just spike when we see things that are unjust. God is the same way. And what we don't want to do is make God seem like he just kind of puts a blind eye to thing, sweeps it under the rug, and then just forgets about it. God wants to deal with our hearts. God wants to deal with our lives, and God wants to deal with us reflecting him better. Amen? Now, this is going to be a bit of a hard, like, this is probably the worst way to open a sermon. I'm just throwing that out there. Probably the hardest traction to probably get things off the ground, but just bear with me. The one thing we know is that when God does start to pinpoint areas that don't reflect him, God always has a solution for that. But all throughout the Bible, whether it was kings or prophets or whether it was the 12 disciples or Paul or anyone else that came in relation to God or Jesus, they had two reactions. One, God always let them know where they weren't reflecting him. And secondly, they became distraught in themselves. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. It's going to be on the screen, but if you do have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6 verses three to five. Now this is where Isaiah has a vision of the Lord high lifted up in the temple and these angels start singing and he's kind of, as you and I would probably be, a little bit taken back. And this is what Isaiah says. The angels were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, prophet Isaiah, it is all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and live amongst a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Again, not the kindest scripture to start with, but it shows that when the prophet Isaiah, just like Habakkuk, when they saw and met the Lord's holiness, the first thing they knew was, God, I am not the same as you. We are different. Now, when you read through Isaiah chapter 6, you actually find out that Isaiah gets purified from his sins. But one of the amazing things is this is that the angels were crying, holy, holy, holy. Notice, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is ever love, 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 or justice, 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 or grace, grace, grace. It's holy, holy, holy. And one of the ways that we can see the holiness of God is understanding that he is separate from us. He's in a category all of his own. He is good. He is gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, but he's holy. There is a standard that you and I have to meet with him. But the problem is, is that when we come into the presence of the Lord, the first thing that shows up is where we aren't reflecting him. And God has to let us know because he's good to let us know. Now, how many people know if you had a child and your child kind of wasn't doing their best 
behavior on their best day, you would probably pull them aside and be like, hey, I raised you better. <laughs> of course, my dad with a thick Scottish accent got really close, you know? It's like Sean Connery coming right here. Son. I was making stuff up to apologize for. Like, I'm sorry I broke the car. You're five. You're not driving yet. But sometimes when the Lord comes into the room or comes, on, comes into our prayer times or whatever the case is, sometimes when the Lord starts dealing with our hearts, it can get heavy, yes? It seems a little bit like, hey, God, I don't know what this is, and it's not really enjoyable. I don't like this. That's the holiness of God saying, what I'm coming to meet you with, you are not reflecting. And the problem is, is in the Old Testament, they had no way to reconcile that. That's why when you read through Leviticus, they had animal sacrifices and blood sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and things to do on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays and Thursdays, not Saturdays. Sundays are okay, though. It, you can eat this here and not this here, and you can't do this and wear this. And it's like it made no sense. Why? Because there was a standard that God was showing them, I need you to follow these things so that you can be righteous before I send my son. All the rules and the regulations from the Old Testament was God trying to get his people to walk that line of holiness the best that they could, but they had no way to deal with their sin nature. And so that's why sometimes we see in the Old Testament, God looks like an angry God because he's always having to correct his kids. Because there was no way that God could deal with them in a way that would eradicate the power of sin over them. So here's a great question. Here's a great question. If God can't overlook wickedness, and every time God shows up to talk to people, they get convicted of being wicked, what do we do? If you're taking notes, we're going to spend a bit of time in point two, and it's how did Jesus display the Father? This is probably one of the most important things that you and I can really understand is because through Jesus, we understand the nature of God, we understand the character of God, and we understand the grace and mercy of God. Now, here's a fun fact. I don't have it in my notes, but it's a fun fact. And if you're going out for coffee with friends, you can say, hey, here's your fun fact for the day. Or maybe it's not fun, depending on how you take it. The reason why Jesus was so controversial in his time is that the Jewish nation never believed God would take physical form. That was the big thing. The father is never going to be seen. You're never going to see what he looks like. Don't even bother trying. God would never come in physical form. So for thousands of years, people believed and held to that tradition. Then this guy shows up and says, I am that I am. Okay, so the culture instantly knew that Jesus was saying, I am exactly like my father. Father and I, we are one. And so all the way through Jesus' ministry in, in the Gospels, this is where the tension lied. is because Jesus was saying, the father and I are one. We are the same. And people were not having, they weren't having that. So they called him a blasphemer and they wanted him crucified. But we're going to go to John chapter 14, if you have your Bibles. John 14, starting in verse 8. 
And of course, the disciples had some issues with some things that Jesus was saying. And Philip, and it says this, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still do not know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak, they're not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me. Or at least believe because of the works you've seen me do. So Jesus instantly tells his disciples, if you have seen me, Jesus, not a five foot four bald man, if you have seen me, Jesus, you have seen the Father. And then Jesus says, if you don't believe me in just saying that, look at the works that I do. And when you look at the works that Jesus did, what did he do? Grace, mercy, compassion, long-suffering, redemption, long-suffering again, long-suffering again, long-suffering again. For people that don't know what long-suffering is, just switch the words, it's suffering long. And what we see here is that Jesus is instantly saying, if you have seen me do anything, you have seen the Father do it. And so every time you read about Jesus working in a moment of compassion, or Jesus working in a moment of redemption, or Jesus working in a moment of cultural, you know, redemption, you've seen the Father work. You have seen the good news of the gospel come to you, and that means the Father has reached out. And what's interesting is when you read about some of the times that these disciples, and there's countless numbers of times this has happened, when Jesus would perform a miracle or do something that was like way supernatural, that was beyond their understanding, they would say, I am an unclean man. You need to get away from me, Jesus. I am not worthy of being even in your place. Even John the Baptist said, I'm not the one coming, but there's one coming after me whose sandals I am not even willing or desiring or worthy to handle. This is how holy people saw Jesus. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Knowing God is holy is anything that Jesus ever did in action throughout Scripture. That is what the nature and character of God's holiness is. Now, we're going to jump to another Scripture in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this. By the way, who was the book of Hebrews written to? Hebrews is right the name. It's okay to laugh. It's okay. <laughs> I wonder who wrote James. <laughs> Quick, get my concordance. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the right place of honor, at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. 
I want you to see something very interesting here. It says that the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything. But he says this, when he had cleansed us from our sins, the holiness of God in the Old Testament revealed where we were broken. The holiness of God in Christ Jesus that God was allowing to come to the earth redeemed us from the brokenness. The holiness of God did not leave us broken. For years we've taught and believed that the holiness was the separation. That God was like the bully holding the little kid in the playground just swinging and he was just holding his back. Holiness is actually the biggest invitation to know the character and the nature of God without separation. And this is where we see that Jesus operating as God would have if God could look at wickedness. He sent his only begotten son to cover your sin and my sin, past, present, and future, to cover it so God can look at you and I clean. That God said they aren't good enough to deal with their sin issue, so I will take care of it, and I will send my son who is pure and clean and spotless and holy, and I will sacrifice him so I can see my creation. The holiness of God brings you in. The problem is, is that we get fixed when God shows up and our sin nature goes. Because we have those moments, God, I'm not clean. I'm not doing good today. God, I'm not doing good today. I wasn't good yesterday and I probably won't be good tomorrow. God, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. God, what is going on? And what does God's holiness do? Yeah, you're not doing great. Get in here. That's the beauty of the holiness of God. It doesn't separate you. He has to call you on it, but he brings you into the mercy of Christ so that God can cleanse you from what keeps you at distant and at bay. The holiness of God seen through the person of Jesus is redemptive. It brings you into relationship. It doesn't keep you separate. Yes, we are created. I don't know if you haven't noticed, we are not God. But to reflect his image, the blood of Christ has covered our shortcomings. That doesn't mean that that gives us an excuse to not grow and become better Christians and to be more faithful in all the things that we grow in. But when the Lord comes to you and you start to feel those moments of conviction, God knows why that's happening is because he wants to bring you closer into him by revealing Christ to you. Everyone remember Moses, that guy? He's kind of a big deal in the Old Testament. Why was it that only he went up the mountain and the children of Israel didn't want to even hear what God had to say? It's because they were terrified. Picture this. You're out for a drive one morning. You go by your favorite hill. It's covered in smoke, thunder, lightning, fire. Animals go by the place, they just drop dead. Would you want to go up that mountain? Then you get out of your car and take a look and you hear this voice saying, hey, come here. Now, I'm not the wisest man on earth, but I would have some reserve. I don't know if I'd want to do that. 
but Moses was allowed up. And the thunderings from God's voice were so loud, they said, could you just tell him not to talk to us? We're, we're, we're getting too fearful. Moses is saying, I'm too fearful. I don't want to hear this. But we haven't come to a mountain now. We haven't come where we have to be based out of the paranoia or the fear of the Lord that makes us crippled. We've been brought to a man named Jesus who said, you don't have to climb a mountain and be fearful of the Father because if you've seen me redeem you, this is the work of the Father. The holiness of God that used to keep people at bay, Jesus says, no, you can actually come and be a recipient of it. You can reflect that, God, I'm not worthy. You're right, we aren't. But through the blood of Christ, he makes us acceptable in the eyes of God. In your best day, you will never be enough because that would mean we don't need Christ. <laughs> on my best day is where I cry out to Jesus the most. If I ever flick my life on autopilot and I get too comfortable sometimes, things are going kind of good. You know, I can just give myself a little, nope, in drive, we're going straight to the cross, here we go. God, there's nothing wrong, but here's my heart, here's my life, here's my wallet, here's my shoes, here's my dog, here's my car, here's everything, just take it and do with it what you will. Why? Because I don't trust my own heart. Because only Jesus is perfect. My good day doesn't mean that God's favor is on my life. It's when I've submitted to the goodness of Jesus. And so today, when we're looking at the person of Jesus, what has Jesus done in your life that you can say, thank you, God, for? That's the holiness of God. God sovereignly chose to move on your behalf to say, hey, yes, you were broken in sin. You're covered now. That's the, that's the holiness of God being made known to you. Not so scary, huh? I used to have friends that come over that had no idea that Scotland ever existed and met my dad for the first time. They're terrified. It was hilarious. They were terrified. They couldn't understand him because of his thick accent and they thought he was just this angry guy that just grumbled all the time. But when they got to know him, he was actually the most loving, compassionate, graceful person, give you the shirt off his back and then take mine and give it to him. <laughs> Why? Because sometimes the way we perceive the Lord isn't actually the Lord. Sometimes, this is why we have to be really careful when we start having conversations in our head with people that aren't around. We start having conversations with the Lord with things that he's never told us or spoken to us. It's because we start creating an identity that's actually not redemptive. Now that doesn't mean there's not things we gotta deal with. There's, that doesn't mean that there's not things that we have to understand that God doesn't like. If Jesus didn't like it, I have to not like that. That's the gospel 101. Jesus says no, I say no. Jesus teaches this, then I can't believe that. Jesus approves this and I have to say yes to that. Why? Because that's being holy. That's just saying yes to Jesus. Easy to say, and I know we're all in that different kind of place where we're giving submission to that, but to see God as holy is just submitting is what he calls us to live as. Now you're probably wondering, this sounds really good. I have no idea how to do that. Sounds great. How do I do that? Point number three, we have a helper. The goodness of God, 
not only shows us our shortcomings, the holiness of God doesn't just show us that we've been redeemed from it. The holiness of God says, I want to transform your heart that you don't desire those things anymore. John chapter 16, we're going to go there. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit for the next few moments. Because we talk a lot about the Father, talk a lot about Jesus, but this Holy Spirit character kind of gets lost in the mix sometimes. John chapter 16, verse 8, says this, And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes... He will convict the world of its sin. He will convict of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. The world's sin that it refuses to believe in Christ. The righteousness that is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. But the judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Look, the very first thing the Holy Spirit wants to do is tell you, hey, you're not reflecting Jesus in this moment. That's kind of like that annoying kid in your class. Teacher, you didn't give us homework on a Friday. Why would you say that? That's kind of what the Holy Spirit is like. As much as he wants to form us and mold us into the image of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has to reflect when we aren't. And there's a reason for this. Do you remember in Isaiah, the description, the angels were crying out to God? Remember what it was? It's holy, holy, holy. Now watch this. The work of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's holiness in you is that the Holy Spirit has to call you when we're not reflecting God. He has to. Why? Because the Spirit points you to Jesus. You need to, re you need to repent and come into the blood covering of Christ so that you can be redeemed. Why? So you can be in relationship with the Father. The reason why the angels were crying, holy, 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 is because holy is the Father. Holy is the Son. And holy is the Holy Spirit. The holiness of God wants to show you, you aren't reflecting your created purpose, but I'm showing you how to fix it. Well, God, how do I fix it? Go to Jesus. Repent. Quick. Even if you don't believe it in your own heart, get under the blood covering. Forgive. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. And then what? Be in back relationship with the Father. The work of the Holy Spirit is to show you, hey, you're not doing so hot today. Not going so well. Maybe you should spend some more time with Jesus. Maybe you should, he'll push and pull and pull you to that place where we say, God, I can't take it anymore. I need you in my day. I need you in my life. And sometimes that's why it feels so heavy on our hearts. You ever go through heavy seasons where Jesus seems like every time you wake up, God's just jackhammering your heart? Like there's just, God, when is this going to stop? It's because he's trying to reveal the weighted burden that's on your back Christ wants to take for you. And it's a holy work. It's not a condemning work. Paul says in Romans 8, there, to those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. The work that God is doing in you is a good work. Painful, hard, 
renewing, exciting, but it's good. It's a good work. One other thing we have to know about the work of the Holy Spirit is that it's right in his name. Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always show you God's desire for you to be well, but he will also show you what parts you have to do. God, show me your will today. Hey, remember back last week when you kind of bawled that person out at the grocery store? Nope, not me. Hey, remember that time you cut that person off and you kind of laughed about it? Nope, not me. Remember that last time you were hanging out with your sibling and you said those things? Nope, not me. The one thing the Holy Spirit will do is pinpoint areas where we have not been holy. And then he'll show us, hey, you can be forgiven, but maybe you should go make that right. Just as the holiness of God is progressively working in redemption for us, when we reflect God's nature, we should be the ones offering redemption and forgiveness to others as well through Christ. To reflect the goodness and the holiness of God means the goodness God has showed you, show to the person beside you. If God is rich in mercy, unfailing in love, long-suffering, compassionate, guess what? We have to be that way too. But God, I don't know how to do that. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. And he will work in us this work of redemption. You with me? All right. Now, I know that there's probably a thousand and one questions in your head, a thousand and one things going through your heart, and you're probably going through a Rolodex of, okay, who did I talk to in the independent? Who did I drive by the other day? How is my relationship with my brothers and sisters and my family? And you're going through the, ooh, just relax, just relax. This is not a one-stop shop. This is not a, okay, hey, you've made it, you heard the message, check, off you go. This is an everyday progressive work. That when we yield and give room for the work of the Holy Spirit to work in you, he transforms your heart. He transforms your heart where you want to make sure that those around you are well. For those of us that have a big justice smear that we want to right every wrong that we can see, Balance that out with compassion. And for those of us that are just really good crying shoulders to have for people, sometimes we need to go to the next step. Like, okay, so what do we do next? The work of the Holy Spirit is pushing us to act as God would act. Because we have a lot of people walking around thinking God's just got a nail bat waiting to whack them. And that's why they don't want to come into a relationship. But it's the goodness of God. It's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. It's the holiness of God that says, I want that safe and in with me. And you and I, are the get to, we get to be the ambassadors of the one who gets to give people that message of the cross. Because the holy work that God did on you, we are to tell other people about it. Now, I want to make a bit more room for a for a response to this. What I want to do, if you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 24. This is probably one of the biggest points that I really want. If you take anything away besides the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we will respond to here in a second, if you're going to take anything away, I want you to hear this. Psalm chapter 24. 
verses three to six. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with the God of their Savior. Such people may seek and worship you and your presence, O God of Jacob. Yes, we don't run to a mountain, but we do run into the presence of the Lord. And there's one thing I would love for you to take away today is this one section of scripture. Because it says, who wants to stand in the presence of the Lord? Hopefully we all do. But there's a condition. We don't just get in because we're having the best hair day. We don't get in just because my grandmother prayed. We don't just get in because we're in the right place at the right time. We get in because our hands and hearts are pure. We don't worship idols and we don't desire to tell lies. As in, we don't want to swear unoathfully. To stand in the presence of God, to sit amongst his saints, there is a, there's a condition have you been washed by his blood? I don't know what that means. Have you allowed the forgiveness of your sins to be covered by the blood of Jesus? Have you allowed the goodness of God to be known to you in such a way that you don't even want to desire to see if there's anything wicked in your heart? You're just constantly giving it to God, which is what David prayed. Search me and know me, O God and see if there be any wicked way in me. When the presence of the Lord comes and the Holy Spirit starts to work on you, you can account on three things. You will be convicted of sin. You'll be shown the love of the Savior so you can see the compassion of the Father. The holiness of God is for your good, not for your exclusion but there's only one way to get it, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so if you just stand with me, I wanna invite the prayer team to come up. I wanna take a few minutes, we're a little early and there's a reason for that. I wanna take a few minutes and do a little bit of responding. Now for those of you in the room, or maybe watching online afterwards, Maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel to this degree where you've heard the, you know, the fact that Christ has taken your sins to that degree and has made you clean before the Father should you choose to repent. If we could just maybe just close our eyes and bow our, bow, bow our heads just for, just for respect in the room. Maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel or maybe this is the 14th time you've heard the gospel and you have never really known how to approach God. I wanna make space for you just to respond. If the Holy Spirit is doing the work and you have never given your life to Christ, 
even on the recording, if this is the first time you've heard this, I want to make space for a response to that. And if there's anyone here in the room that would say either one, I want to give my life freshly to Jesus, or secondly, I need to come back to Jesus. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, anyone, no one looking around, does anyone want to make that confession today? Awesome. Keeping your eyes closed and heads bowed for a second. Want to create some space for the Holy Spirit just to speak to you before we respond. Whether it's in this moment right now or whether it's as you go throughout the day or go throughout the week, this is what I want to ask. In view and light of the holiness of God that we've been talking about, is there anything or anyone in your heart you know you need to seek reconciliation with? Maybe it's in the room, maybe it's after the service, maybe it's during this week, maybe you don't know. But what I wanna do is just take time in this first response to pray corporately that if there is anything that you need to seek someone for forgiveness for, or mend a broken something, and the Holy Spirit's been pinpointing it and you've been looking for, God, I don't know what to do with this, this is what you need to do with it. Repent and seek forgiveness. And so God, just for all my friends in the room in this moment, God, as we've been talking about your holiness and your goodness, God, I just simply ask in this room, God, that you would just touch the hearts of your children. God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, would you just allow the softness to come over their hearts? Any area of bitterness or anger or malice, wrath, vengeance, competition or revenge, God, I just ask that you would just soften their hearts. And God, would you show faces and names, places and people and events, God, that they need to reconcile. Or God, maybe it's just in the room now where they just have to simply say, I forgive so-and-so. And God, I just ask that you would just sovereignly move in their hearts in this moment. And then lastly, if there's anyone in the room that is desiring to have this weight to be prayed through with them. There's things that God has been bringing up and over and over and over and over. And you just need help praying through things. We're gonna make that time available for you. But God, I just ask, just as we get ready to dismiss, God, that your people would see your holiness as an attraction to get right with you. Holy Spirit, would you reveal your good work in their hearts and reveal Jesus's sovereign goodness to them in this moment. God, we wanna taste and see that you are good. And so God, in this moment, would you speak to our hearts? We're gonna spend time at the altar this morning if we need to, but God, would you speak to the hearts of your children, mend the broken places that need to be fixed so we can give you all glory and all praise in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.